You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. If you have your Bible, we are continuing in Romans. As Pastor Josiah said, we've been forever. But I, from my, the translation I'm preaching out of here, I can see the end. We're almost there. We're, we're getting there. We've made it. We're going to be in chapter 15, specifically dialing into verses 14 through 21. So if you uh, want to use one of those church Bibles somewhere nearby, it's on page 1008. If you're using the Bible version app, we put all the scriptures in there, even the ones that aren't going to be on the screen. You can just follow along. But it's our hope, and it's my prayer, it's my desire that we are a church with Bibles open on our laps, apps open, that we are digging into God's Word. So let's go ahead and take a look at what God has for us here. Romans chapter 15. Verses 14 through 21, they say this. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced that uh, about you that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has already accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result... I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Father, you've put before me an impossible task. To proclaim your word, to do it straight, correctly, just as you would speak, and you take it so seriously. Those in the Old Testament who who spoke on your behalf incorrectly would have to be stoned to death if they were wrong. Lord, the consequences are, are grave, but I trust in your promises that what you say will come, will come. I'm begging, Lord, that you would equip me in this time. And Lord, as I call upon your people, as I believe your word calls upon us, open ears, open hearts, move and motivate feet and hands and voices, motivations, priorities, bank accounts, time, skills, Lord, that all of it, that everything in us would be called, moved, and shaped to serve you. And Lord, I got to fight against the world's sales pitch that they're bombarded with, that we're bombarded with in commercials and friends and society, to live for ourselves, to live for comfort, to live for all these other things. And Lord, I get 35, 40 minutes to plead with your people to live for you boldly. So God, the the deck is stacked against me, but I know you're a big God. So Lord, I'm asking that you would do the work that your word promises you will do. 
Help us to hear this well in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, my wife and I recently watched this movie um, on one of the, you know, watched a movie called A Million Miles Away. It's a newer movie, and uh, it's a, based on a true story, kind of a neat story. I don't know, have any of you seen it? Any of you seen A Million Miles Away? Neat story. Uh, it's about a guy, based on this true story, named Jose Hernandez, who grew up as a migrant farm worker. Right? I mean, of, of all the stuff. He became an engineer, which was already amazing. Just the odds were against him. It was amazing that he became an engineer. He got a job working on you know, satellites and space stuff and, and uh, really cool stuff. I'm sure that was really amazing that a migrant worker could get there. And then this man had a dream. He had a desire to be an astronaut and to go into space. And so he applied to the NASA space program 11 times over the course of 11 years before he was finally just accepted to come into the program to train as an astronaut, right? So he goes through all this arduous work, just difficult stuff. He's training year after year. After he finally gets in, after 11 years of working through this, he's training and he's training and he's training. And then eventually, in 2009, we stuck him in a space shuttle and launched him into space. A migrant worker, how about that? The movie shows that this guy you know, had to overcome all these obstacles and he, he had to learn to fly an airplane on his own dime and in his own time just for the application. And he had to learn to scuba dive, his own time, his own dime. And he traveled around, and he had to learn Russian, and he had to do all these things just to get an opportunity to maybe train, and then from there maybe be able to, to go into space. Right? He just needed to improve his application so he'd have a shot, and it seemed impossible. And we love stories like this. We love them. We, we cry. We cheer. We watch this. We go, oh this, is, oh, this is so great. We don't act like we cry. I'm over like, that was amazing. Right. But we love the idea of, of men and women who set themselves to a serious goal, to, to something seemingly impossible. And they overcome the hardships along the way. And they come out on top. Victorious, woo! We love these stories. We make movies about these stories. We write books about these stories. We love them. Who loves these stories? I love these stories. We love them. We all love these kind of stories, except for one. We, we don't actually love the Apostle Paul's story. And you go, no, come on, I do. I love it. No, we don't. Somewhere down deep, we, 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 we say we love it. We say, oh, this is, so, oh, this is so great. But something causes us kind of to like, oh, that's great, but I'm going to kind of look over here. I'm going to kind of talk about it, but, you know, it's neat to talk about over there. Why? Why do we not love Paul's story like we love the story of astronauts who go into space? Because the story frightens us. It, it shakes us somewhere down deep. His story has real consequences for the Christian. When we really know Paul's story, we can't escape what it means for our story, what it means for us, and that scares us. It terrifies us, right? We, when we see how these stories intersect with God's story, and if we see what it could look like in a person like Paul, we look away out of fear. We're comfortable. We don't want to rock the boat, right? We don't want to shake that up. But if we could trust Jesus 
Like Paul trusted Jesus, we could have a story for our own life that far surpasses Jose Hernandez's story about going into space and then starts to look more like Paul's story that glorifies God and advances the kingdom. We could join God in his story and give our lives to something huge, bigger than we could ever be. And that impact could ring throughout eternity because Jesus went to the cross for us and then sent us into the world to be a part of his story. It's possible. What am I talking about? I mean, he goes, what, are you, what am I talking about? What are we doing? What I'm talking about is Paul's claim, this big claim that he made, that he fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Lycrium, right? To, to put that in perspective, here's what he's saying he did, and I believe he did it. Up to that point, point, Paul had preached the gospel through regions that today include modern-day Turkey, Greece, Cyprus, Syria, and Israel. He traveled over 10,000 miles, no airplanes, no cars, didn't ride in a a buggy. He traveled over 10,000 miles on these three missionary journeys. He planted 10 churches and helped five more get a significant foothold in very difficult places. Get this. He preached the gospel in 43 different cities. Wow, how about that? And now notice that Paul takes some time here to tell us a little bit of himself. That's not something he does very often. He's telling us something about himself. Why is that? Why why is this section, why is Paul's little story in our Bible? Why would he take the time after talking about all this other stuff in Romans to tell us this little story about himself? Is he just patting himself on the back? Look at me. I don't think so. Why would God feel like we need it here? Because God inspired this, wrote it through Paul, and put it here for us today. Why? Why did the church in Rome need it? Why? I think it's so we can see maybe a little bit about what made Paul tick. We can open the hood, look around a little bit. What motivated Paul? How did he do it? Why did he do it? Let's read back through the passage just one more time and see, I just want you to see Paul. Pick up those clues here about Paul. Let's read it together one more time. Uh, Romans 15, verse, starting in verse 14. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sacrificed by the Holy Spirit. He's tying back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God, for I would not dare to say anything except that Christ has accomplished, I would not dare to say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, by word and deed, for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, and my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Here's seven things I've gathered from this text that I think we can see about Paul. 
when we look at who Paul is, what motivated Paul, how Paul did this, why Paul did this, I think this is what this text is showing us. Seven things. And after last week and all the excitement over you guys taking notes, I actually have numbered them. I'll try to stick to my numbers and not forget where I'm at. But if I do, remind me which one I'm on. So number one, number one, Paul knew what his calling was. He knew what his calling was. He was to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He said it right here. He knew his charge. He knew his commission. He knew the task assigned to him. And he wasn't wrong. Acts 9, 15. There we see when Paul was converted, all the way back there, God's telling Ananias he's got to go pray for this guy who's a Christian killer, right? And the guy's like, what? God says this. This man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. That was Paul's calling, and he knew it. He knew it. He knew what his calling was. Number two, Paul knew who he was serving. He knew who he was serving, and it'd be easy to say, well, he serves the people to hear. But listen, verse 16 says, to be a priest, one of a servant, an intermediary, a priest of the gospel of God. All of his efforts were for God. All of his service was for God. He's serving God and God's good news message. That's what he was a servant of. He even sometimes called himself a slave to this. And then by serving God, he did bless and benefit and help God's people. But he knew he was serving God. Number three, Paul knew why he was serving. He knew why he was serving. Verse 16 again says, my purpose is, this is what I'm doing, this is why I'm doing it. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sacrificed by the Holy Spirit or sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm a priest of the gospel. And these people are going to be Romans 12, 1 and 2, living sacrifices. And my job is to, to orchestrate that and coordinate that. I know why I'm doing this, so that they can be a living sacrifice to the glory of God. He knew why he was doing what he was doing. He knew he was called. Number four, he knew how he was to do his task. He understood how. Verses 17 and 18 say, I have reason to boast in Christ regarding what pertains to God, for I would not dare say anything except what God has accomplished through me by the word and deed, for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. He said, I will not say what God has not done. I will only say what he has done. I will only do what God has equipped me to do, who's changed in me. I will only profess and proclaim God. He knew that it was all about what God had told him to do, so he didn't do it, God didn't tell him to do, and he did what God did tell him to do, and he understood that the how of it was to trust in and boast in Christ and only speak what Christ had done. Elsewhere, he says, he came to preach Christ and him crucified and nothing else. Say nothing else of you guys. It's not about me, it's about Christ. That's how he would do his, his mission, to keep it Christocentric at all times. Let's see, one, two, four, five. Number five. Paul knew the potential outcome of what God was doing through him. This wasn't just like, yeah, I don't know. This wasn't blind obedience, I don't know, whatever. He knew what the possibilities were. He knew what the outcome should look like. He had an idea. He knew the potential of what God could do in his faithfulness. And that, so because he knew what God could do, nothing really held him back. 
This is how he's able to fully preach the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around, all the way to the other side of the Adriatic Sea. Huge, huge areas. Verse 19. He knew the full potential of what God could do. He knew it, so he didn't hold back. Number six. Paul knew what he was shooting for. He knew what he was aiming for. He knew what the task really was. He had a target in his sights. He knew his aim. He didn't get distracted to the right or left. With his hand on the plow, he didn't look backwards. He knew what he was doing. He set a goal and he shot straight for it. It was his guidance. It was his direction. Verse 20 said, My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ had not been named. He knew what he was going up against. He knew what he had to do. And he aimed for it. And when he had his sights on, he pulled the trigger and did it. Number seven. Paul knew his Bible. And he knew the promises of God. And he trusted them. I mean, like, really trusted them. He entrusted his life to them. He went and did all this crazy stuff because he trusted God. He knew these promises, and these promises motivated and shaped him. And all the support for this that I'm telling you, all of what he was saying he was going to do, I'm going to go here, I want to preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached, is what I'm going to do. He's actually quoting Isaiah 52, 15. He knew his Bible. So he said, look, based on this verse, now that's an interesting deal. That is an interesting deal. That's the passage about God's servant, the suffering servant. He would suffer and he would struggle. That's Jesus. We know now that's Jesus. And, and Paul knows that's Jesus. And, and, and that text says that the suffering servant would be raised up and exalted. And if you stopped reading right there, that would sound just fine. Oh, he's going to be, oh, we're going to put him on a big stage or something. That's not what that text is talking about. So he raised up on a cross, which somehow being raised up on a cross is exalting him. And then it says uh, that by doing this, by being raised up, he would be so disfigured that he won't even look like a man anymore. He would be so, and I don't think that's just from the physical beating, I think that's from the weight of the crushing power of sin. He'd made to be sin, and sin is ugly, and it just looks, he doesn't even look like a man anymore, and anybody who would see him would be appalled. But it says the servant will be successful. Successful. Successful in what? What's he doing? In redeeming his people. In saving his people, but not just the Jewish people. That's what a lot of the Jewish people thought, but no, not just the Jewish people. Isaiah 52, 15 says there'll be a sprinkling on all the nations. This is going to go out to the Gentiles. And it promises that people who have never heard the name of Jesus will understand and be saved. Paul is banking all he's doing right here on that promise. Because Paul saw Jesus has already fulfilled part of the Isaiah promise. He says, look, I see that he's already been lifted up. I see that he's being glorified. I see that he's saving mankind in this way. And that includes, I see, the Gentiles. And then Paul's saying, wait a minute. It's been fulfilled here, but the rest is still being fulfilled. And I get to be a part of the fulfillment of that promise. That actually includes me. He knew what God was doing, and he knew that Paul was being used by God as of a fulfillment of God's promises. I think, <clears throat> I'm pretty certain, that Paul was martyred before John wrote his revelation on the island of Patmos. It's pretty easy to make that argument. but So I don't think that Paul was able to read 
John's letter when it went around to the churches. But could you just imagine how excited, how explosively, joyously excited Paul would have been to read Revelation 7-9? It says that John saw a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number, standing before the Lamb, before the, excuse me, before the throne, before the Lamb. How would Paul ever heard that? We did it! <laughs> we did it! The promise, it came true! God is faithful! And depending on how you understand that verse, Paul was among them in a white robe with a palm branch, crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Paul was among the nations proclaiming glory to God. Salvation belongs to Jesus. And depending on how you understand that verse, because there are a few different ways to interpret that, you were there too when John saw that vision. Proclaiming salvation belongs to our God who is seated at the throne and to the Lamb. Because God keeps His promises. At this point, I think it's... it's um, it's very reasonable to ask really why God felt it necessary to include this. I started with that question. Why is it here? We really need to get a handle on that. Why, why would God feel like we needed to know this? Here's what I think the answer to that question is. Here's why I think we get to see this through Paul. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul said, in a letter to a different church from the same author, inspired by God, Paul said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Uh, if you were reared up on the 1984 NIV, it's follow me as I follow Christ. In that specific context, if we were to flip there, what, what Paul is doing is he's telling them, don't seek you know, things for your own benefit. Don't go for that. Go ahead and put that stuff aside for the benefit of others so that they might be saved. Put your stuff aside Shoot after the others so that they might be saved. Then he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What he's saying is, look, I'm doing that. I'm putting myself aside, my ambitions aside. Uh, anything that's not of Christ, all that's going to go over here for the sake of others' salvation. And he says, I think you should do that too. Now, that's the context. But I don't think it's too much of a stretch. You tell me. If I'm off, you correct me. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think that Paul encouraged people to follow his example and how he served in Jesus with everything that he did. Not just in putting aside things, but in everything. I think Paul would have said, man, you got it. You, let's do this. Let's go glorify God together. Follow me. Let's go. I'm following Jesus in all things. And I don't think it's too unreasonable to believe that Paul was hopeful that if his readers were to get the gospel right. Remember he said, I wrote some things I felt necessary so you could see this a little more. If they got the gospel right, if they had a better understanding of who God was, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that would compel them to follow his missional example in all kinds of various ways that they'd be called for by God. Do you think I'm off base here? I think that would be Paul. Now, I'm just speculating, but knowing what we've read from Paul, I don't think that's too far off the mark. If they get the gospel right, if they know who this Jesus is, if they know the mission of God, the call of God, the power of God, then they themselves will be compelled to be motivated to join God in that. So now, at the time of this letter, Paul had never visited this church in Rome. He didn't plant it. 
probably didn't know these people unless some of the people he'd met had gone. They didn't have Zoom. They didn't have the internet. Like, he didn't really know them. He kind of knew of them. And they didn't really know him. They didn't have a personal relationship. All the work that God was accomplishing there in the church in Rome through Paul's letter was by way of what we just read, through the words, through the letter. How is that any different for us today? We don't have a personal relationship with Paul. Paul hasn't like, you know, hung out in here and worshipped with us. So we've received a letter from a guy we've never personally met, inspired by God to read the exact same words. It's no different for us than it was for the church in Rome. That if we get the gospel right, that if we believe that the promises of God are true, that if we are moved and compelled to understand who Jesus is, to praise him, to glorify him, then we will also be compelled to serve him on his mission regardless of the consequences and the cost. That if we really get it, we will go. It's no different. It's no different. Are we becoming more equipped in the gospel of God as we read through the letter? I think so. I think God wants us to follow Paul's example as Paul followed Christ. I def- I, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't we want to say that's a, true of us? We should follow this example as, as he followed Jesus. Here's a question. Do we still believe that God is saving Gentiles? Well, I hope so, because that's pretty much all of us. I mean, you're either Jewish or you're a Gentile, and so I think he's doing that. So does that mean that, that through the power of Jesus Christ, Gentiles are being saved as a fulfillment of Isaiah 52, 15? Absolutely. God is still fulfilling that promise. We can still join in that mission. We can still be a part of fulfilling God's promise just like Paul. So I guess it stands to reason we should follow Paul's example. We should do it. But if you're like me, and sometimes I really hope you're not, but if you're like me, you have this sinful, fleshy thing going on inside you, a little chatterbox, a little deal where like, while you're sitting comfortable, your sinful heart is whispering some objections about this. But I mean, yeah, Paul did a lot, but I mean, whatever, you got, you can't do that. Right? I have three that I, that I tend to hear. I used to think you can't do that because you have kids, and then I've seen a million missionaries with kids, and the kids do better than the adults, so that is out the window. But here's three that sometimes spin around in my ears. Maybe they spin around in your ears. Maybe they stop you from following, following Paul, or they change the way you think about it. Here's my three objections and how I respond to them. Number one, I hear this. Paul was called of by God in Acts 9.15 to do this great thing. Like, he had a serious calling. His calling was, you know, serious. And, well, I could do stuff, but I don't have that kind of a calling. I don't... Yeah, indeed, it's true. Paul had a very special calling. It's written down in Scripture. But so do we. You do, too. It's not any different. We have a calling, just like Paul's. You want to know where it is? It's in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's discipleship. And remember, 
I am with you always till the end of the age. Jesus was in Paul as Paul went. Jesus will be in you as you go. It's no different. You have a call like Paul had a call. That's a commission, a job, a task, and it's a promise. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You have a calling, just like Paul does. Here's the objection number two that I... Even as Pastor Josiah was preaching his children's sermon, I'm like, there it is. Here, here it comes. Praise the Lord, he didn't feed into my chatterbox, but actually rebuked it. Apostle Paul was a superhero. These guys, they're different. They're super, they're amazing. They're, they're, they're the champions of the, we, uh, these guys are giants and I'm just little guy. Right? Yeah, Paul was really awesome. But that's not how he did this. He didn't do this because he was awesome. He's awesome because he did it. He trusted in Jesus and therefore because of the power of Jesus working in him, we get to say Paul's awesome, but really who's the awesome one? Jesus. Paul's just the vessel, just the messenger, just the mailman. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, by his own confession. Trusting in Jesus is what empowered Paul like this. We have the same Savior, the same Christ, the same salvation, the same Holy Spirit indwelling in us and empowering us if we're saved. And the message hasn't changed, it's no different. It's no different. And James shows us, James. One of these apostles, look at this guy. Wow, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a letter in the Bible, empowered by God. Wow, here's a superhero. Here's what he has to say about us thinking of superheroes. James shows us that these heroes of the Bible were no different than us if we're faithful. James 5, 16 through 18. He showed us that God can answer mighty prayers, these crazy remarkable prayers, just like he did for Elijah. Here's how he says it. Here's what he wrote. The prayer of a righteous person is, a, is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being just as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain in the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruits. James is saying, you want to be like Elijah? You don't need to go to one of these prosperity gospel, word of faith guys, whatever, that says you could do this, and you could, I'm Elijah, blah, blah, blah. no. Regular people trusting in Jesus can do the same thing that a regular guy named Elijah who trusted in Jesus did. That's all it takes. That's what James in the Bible is saying. Paul's no superhero. Paul's empowered by the superhero. And you can be too. We can be. Here's the third excuse rebuke that I hear in my own ears from my own sinful heart. But Utah's hard. It's hard here. I used to say this a lot. I used to say this all the time until I realized how unfaithful this excuse is. It is an unfaithful, untrusting, unbelieving excuse. It's true, Utah's hard, but we serve a powerful God. God wants to do something in Utah. He will. Utah won't stop him. And if we want to be a part of God's story, then we need to be faithful like Paul. If you want to have a front row seat, be faithful like Paul. There's no guarantee that he's going to do anything. Oh, it's, it's, this is it. This year is the revival year. I don't know. 
That's up to God. Maybe nothing, maybe something. But if you want to see it and you want to have a front row seat, if he does something, you got to be faithful. You got to trust him. We need to be faithful. I am encouraged. I am motivated by the example of a man in Utah, in this hard place. The man's name is Charles Ray. I did a lot of research for him when I was doing my doctoral work, and, and people who were there know this guy's sort of become a hero for me, empowered by God. Charles Ray was a missionary to Utah. He came in the late 1940s. Uh, he was pastoring a church, and then kind of started working through this vision. He was here from, till, uh, from 1940, in the late 40s, until 1969. By God's grace, Charles Ray had a direct hand in planting, or he was the founding pastor of 22 churches in Utah. 22. Many of them are still going. Many of them are still in existence. By the way, First Southern Baptist Church of Bountiful, who changed their name to Good Shepherd, was started in part by Charles Ray. Our church merged with that church. Cornerstone, First Southern Baptist Salt Lake. His name is on the brick, the middle of the thing in the corner of the building. Founded, set by Charles Ray. Risen Life Church used to be Holiday Baptist, right? Used to be on staff. Who planted Redeeming Life Church, started by Charles Ray. There's a whole bunch of others. FBC Roy, FBC Tuilla, and on and on. And then here's the real kicker. <laughs> Many of those churches planted more churches. So at the last time we did the work, we were up to, what, 46 or 48? I can't remember. 46 churches had a direct tie to the work and faithfulness of Charles Ray, and more have been planted. That number's probably bigger. I bet we're pushing 50 churches in Utah that this man had a hand in planting. I've interviewed people who knew him. I didn't get a chance to meet him. I talked to people who knew him. I met somebody who he led to Christ and baptized him. He was in his church for years and went around and did stuff with him. I asked him, like, how did he do it? Who was this man? I want to know. How did he do it? And from the best I can tell, from two or three years of researching this man's life, this is what I learned. He followed Paul as Paul followed Christ. He knew his calling. He knew who he was serving. He knew why he was serving. He knew how to do his task. He knew the potential outcome that God could do through him. He knew what he was aiming for. And he knew his Bible and trusted in the sufficiency of God's promises. Utah's a hard place. Don't tell that to Charles Ray. Why? Because he has a big God. And so do we. So do you. God is calling us to join his story, his mission, his work to partner with Jesus for the redemption of lost souls, all for God's glory. You get to be a part of that if you'll, if you'll join Jesus in the work. Some of us, we, we know the call in our lives, but we're afraid. Some of you, you know the call, but you're ignoring it because... You don't want things to change, or you don't want it to potentially get hard or, or uncomfortable. Some of you, you don't know the call, but you're unwilling to hear it. Some of you say you want to hear the call, but you only want to hear it on your terms. What works for you and is convenient. 
What could happen if we actually put our lives on the line and went all in for God's mission, for his glory? What would happen if we said yes to his call, whatever it was? What could happen in your life, in the life of this church, in Utah, beyond to the ends of the earth? What could happen? Some of you in here, some of you in here are called right now to repent, to believe, and to be saved. You don't even know Jesus. He is calling you to follow him for the first time. Some of you in here are hearing that call. I pray you're hearing it. I pray your ears are open to it. Your heart is encountering this, this stirring and this turmoil, and you're being called, repent and believe, and be saved, follow Jesus Christ. And you don't even know what that means. I, gotta, I don't even get that. I get it. It's, it's, it. It might sound a little bit like Greek or something, but we are here to help you understand it. If you're hearing that call, you can say yes to that call today. Come up and talk to us right after the service. Me, your pastor, Josiah, or Rob, or here's an idea. If you're hearing that call right now, turn to the person next to you. Could be a total stranger, probably a total stranger. Literally turn them, hit him in the side of the leg, hit him in the shoulder, whatever, and say, what must I do to be saved? Now, they're going to poop and freak out for a minute and like, <laughs> how am I going to answer that? But I sure hope you know how to answer that. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to invite you out to lunch. And they're going to say, let's talk, because this has eternal consequences. Some of you, you're just going to turn to your friend and say, what am I saying to be saved to try to get a free lunch? <laughs> but for those of you who are being called to salvation, you're going to get a free life, paid for by Jesus Christ. If you're hearing the call, answer the call. If you're watching this online or a video later, answer the call. Jesus is calling. Repent. Be saved. Follow him into eternity and eternal life from death to life. There's no reason not to. That's not the majority of us, right? That's, that, that, that's not most of us in this room. Most of us in this room, we've said yes to Jesus' salvation. We want to rest in Jesus' salvation. We love it. I've heard it said we love the whole thing. We love Pauline theology, but we don't want Pauline pain. We've said yes a little bit. I'm really happy to be saved, Jesus, but I'm really not wanting to do the stuff you're really asking me to do. What would happen if we said yes to the whole package, to the whole thing? What could change? Some of you need to say yes to his commission, to his call. You need to give your life to something more. Now, that's a huge, huge range of potential. Some of you, God might be calling you just to really go out on a, on a limb for you. Take a big step and just invite someone to come sit next to you at church. For some of you, that, that is a huge call. Let's not, let's not downgrade that. Let's not treat that as it's nothing. That's a big deal. Especially for some of you, your neighbors don't even know you're a Christian. Your coworkers don't know you're a Christian. You're going to out yourself and say, and you know what? I really think you should come to church with me. What you're doing is you're saying, you come with me, I'm going to bring you to somebody else who might share the gospel, and that's okay. For some of you, that's the best you can do, and and maybe God is calling you to do it. Some of you need to start praying. Who am I going to invite to the Eve of Eve Christmas service? We're going to have two this year. We're going to pack this room twice, I pray, God willing. 
And maybe for some of you, you're just even scared to talk to the people you know. We went to the men's breakfast, and there was two people I'd never really met before. One of them had come here, but one was a neighbor who got invited. Is he here? Man, that'd be awesome. One of the men invited a neighbor to come with him to breakfast. Sometimes that's scary. That's a big deal. Come hang out with my Christian friends. I don't know what's going to happen. It might be crazy. Some of you are called just to take a step of faith in that way. Some of you are called to share the gospel. You love talking about your favorite movies, your favorite cars, your favorite whatevers, this thing, that thing, sports team. Some of you need to start talking about Jesus like you talk about your other favorite things. And in this case, Jesus needs to be more favorite, more talked about. Some of you need to be called to start annoying some of your neighbors a little bit. Man, all a guy ever talks about is Jesus. Some of you need to be brave. God's calling you. Go for me. Be my ambassador. Share this good news. You know who you are. You know if he's calling you to do this. Some of you might be called, I believe, to venture outside your circles. To go someplace you wouldn't have thought about going. Maybe here in town. Maybe you go with one of us and we go prayer walking. But maybe he's calling you to go on a short-term mission trip to somewhere else. Maybe somewhere in Utah. Maybe in Idaho. Maybe somewhere in the United States. Maybe a short-term mission trip where you have to get on an airplane and fly out of the country. Maybe a place where you have to go and eat bugs. Maybe a place you don't have to eat bugs. God is calling you. Maybe some of you are being called to do more. Take missions a little more seriously than you ever have. Some of you have been on mission trips. Maybe he's calling you to do it again, to go back there or go somewhere else. Remember what it was like when you were there, how great it was? Maybe it's time for you to go. We want to help you. Come talk to us. I, we'll figure it out. I don't know. Maybe God is calling you to help our mission here. Have you guys looked around and seen how difficult it is we have right now, even just with the children's ministry? Tending to some of these things? Maybe God is calling you to put some of your comfort aside and help us so that unbelievers can walk in here because somebody else invited them to come and they can hear the gospel without having to tend to their child or walk out like what is happening right now. Or maybe it's some other way. You can help us in our mission. You can help us in discipleship. You can help us with prayer. You can join as a member here and be a part of what we're doing. And get really plugged in. Maybe God is calling you to help here. Or maybe God's calling you to be really generous to help here. Or these short-term mission trips. Or big things here. Maybe you're just sitting real comfortable on some stuff that God's saying, give that up for God's glory. No one will ever see except God. Maybe you got some of that extra money you're saving for a rainy day. Maybe God's saying, maybe that day is you're here now. For one of the many things we could do here. See how full it is in here? We want to make some more rows by pushing the stage back and ripping this thing out. That costs money, lumber, carpet, all that stuff's expensive. Permits, blah, blah, blah. One of our pastors here, which I love it, has a huge vision that one day we're so full that we've been doing two and three and four services that we got to build a bigger building back there in that huge piece of grass, turn this into our fellowship hall, turn that into our assembly hall, and proclaim the gospel to three and four and five and six hundred people. Some of you need to help the short-term mission people financially go to other countries or other places. God is calling us to join his mission. I pray constantly that God is calling someone or somebody's multiple someone's in here to answer the call to become a long-term, full-time missionary or a church planter, which is what a missionary is, to go somewhere wherever God's calling, to give their lives to it, 
to give up everything to move into a tiny house where there's drug needles in your yard and the community's wacko and, and you go, I don't know what we're going to do. And you try to plant a church and here's what's going to happen. You're going to somehow love what happens to your family in a tiny house and you're going to love this weird little wonky church. You're like, man, these people are weird, but I love them. Then they're going to merge with another weird church. And you're just going to say, man, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? That's my story. That could be your story. Go plant a church. We'll get behind you. How much? I would love it if we could send 20 or 30 people somewhere with other well-tripped, equipped, ready-to-go people for the sake of the gospel. Maybe God is calling us to this. Maybe he's calling you. And I look at some of these little kids and I think maybe someday they're going to go to an unreached people group where they have no Bible in their language, where they've never heard the name of Jesus like Paul, and they're going to proclaim the gospel in a place and we're going to say, we know them. And we prayed for them and we paid for them and we supported them and we equipped them. Maybe God is calling you to be on the going side or the equipping side or the supporting side. Or maybe you're, you're, we have some shut-ins and maybe I, I can't do any of that. I'm stuck in my house or I'm in, a, in an assisted living facility. Virginia Stevens, some of you in here knew her. We went and prayed with her. The day before she passed away, we were praying with her. Two or three weeks before that, she said, I can't do much. She couldn't see anymore. She couldn't get out of the bed. She could, I mean, she was, she was old and she was at the end of a long faithful season. And you know what she still did with her time? She prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. And some of you are a result, a direct answer of her prayers for this place, for this preaching, for this work. She prayed and prayed and prayed. You can do that. I believe God is calling all of us to do that. If nothing else, you're watching online, you don't think you could do anything. I mean, maybe you don't know how to use you know, fancy apps. You can download the unreached people of the day and God is calling you to, to pray for, I already did today, the Bantu Somali people in all places, Canada, right? Every day I get an unreached people group. There are 6,200 of these individuals, mostly of, of, of Islamic background. Less than 1% of them call themselves Christians every single day. You, maybe God is calling you to join the 1,402 people who today have prayed for this people group. I don't know. Unreached of the day. Great app. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but you do. You know. You hear it. Right? Right? Don't say no. Say yes. And go. God is calling us to join his story on his mission for his glory. How are you going to answer the call today? Let's pray. Lord, <laughs> thank you for calling. And I'm sorry we say no. Forgive us, Lord. We're, we're comfortable, stubborn people. Lord, change our hearts. Change our priorities. Change our attention. That we would be focused and prioritized 100% on you for your glory and everything that we do. That we would leverage everything we have for your glory, for the sharing of the gospel in all the world. God, it is my humble prayer that you would, you would call people from this place to go wherever it is you would have them to go to give their lives for the proclamation of the gospel. Lord, there, there are people in here 
that maybe future preachers, maybe future worship leaders, maybe planting churches together, maybe future teachers and disciple makers, maybe future missionaries, God, that I'm asking that you would equip them and send them. And for the rest of us who don't even know what we're doing, equip us and send us too. Call us, Lord. We want to be here. We want to have open hands. Send us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.